Good morning. It's Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. Mm -hmm. um, it is 10.02. And I'm Ruth Wittstein. And this is a northerner stuck in the south. Different kind of morning today. I'm feeling a little bit better. My back was really hurting me yesterday, but I'm doing a titch better today. Oh, my daughter's still sleeping, but it's raining outside. Could be the whole reason I was feeling bad yesterday was because I was, I'm like a human barometer. I have discovered that as a lupus victim that when the weather is going to change or is about to change, sometimes 24 hours in advance, I will be miserable. Joint pain, back goes out, all kinds of things like that. It could be that that's what was going on because today we have rain and cloudy skies and what have you. Yesterday I was trying frantically to get my all of my chores done that required sunshine, which was the laundry. And my husband was such a good man, he helped me. And a day before he did the same thing, we had laundry I was getting done and I wanted to get our towels and our sheets and all the clothes, everything I could get done, done before, you know, this seven day run of rain. <laughs> it is good that I'm not working outside the home because I literally can wear my jammies every day if I need to, you know, and our yard's fenced in so no one can, you know, I, we have this big acre. I can mosey around and, and whatever, and we're out in the middle of the country, and so no one really can see what I'm wearing. And my husband can do the same, pretty much, just dress very comfortably. So can my daughter. So our clothes, we can we can save our good stuff for other times, and then wear our our sloppy clothes for every day out here because we're not you know in the city on display, so to speak. But today, my husband um, he got a phone call yesterday, which is very good news that he um, had to go for the training for that job, that assembly job that I had talked about in previous podcasts. So excited. I want to see how that works out. And I'm hoping it works out. He really wants to do it because it offers him some freedom. Uh, he'd be doing assembly of different things like bicycles and barbecue pits and you know, all manner of things like that. Lawnmowers, you know, doing things like that for different places like you know, I can't really name the names, but the department stores, it's a, this company goes around and does that. They send people out. Well, he would be, once he's, once they feel like, yeah, my husband can do this job. I mean, if he doesn't pass this test today, because it's just basically, do you know how to put stuff together? Oh my goodness. My husband knows how to read pretty much every schematic, every diagram, every, he knows how to do it because after all, he's the one who used to design those instructions too. He used to be the one putting the blueprints together for all this stuff. So for him, this is probably going to be a walk in the park. And, uh, I think they're going to be very happy with his, and he's excited because like I said, if this works out, he can do full-time, part-time. It's up to him. And he made the decision like right now, since I'm kind of on this back and forth, I'm not well, and I'm having a hard time getting around and he is getting a social security um, that he's going to probably just do three days a week. But they're very busy too right now. And they asked him, like, we know that you want to do part time, but could you occasionally pick up some extra days? And that just, it made him feel good to know that there's work. 
and the work that they have for him, you know, like how it's done. He's not putting these things together in a room full of people. He's like one guy goes to a store. They put him, set him up in the back warehouse room alone. So see social distancing. He can go back there and do this. Wear his mask when he walks in the building to get to wherever he needs to be. Have his mask with him, right? But while he's working, he won't need to wear it because there won't be nobody around him. He'll be by himself. Be by himself. And that's wonderful because that gives him, you know, autonomy. Um, he's very good at doing these jobs, putting things together. He's, he's the guy, like I said early on in, many, in several podcasts ago, my husband is the guy that puts stuff together for the neighborhood. People can't figure out how to read a, a diagram or can't figure out how to put their barbecue pit together that they just bought or can't, you know, they bought a lawnmower and it's in pieces in a box. <laughs> my husband is the one that does that because you can buy things that are either fully assembled or you can buy them in a box, right? And um, sometimes people will buy them in a box, not fully assembled, because there's always an assembly fee, right? You pay a little more for something that's assembled. And uh, my, my husband would be that one that would be the assembler of the thing that people buy. But yeah, he's always the go-to. He's the go-to, has been, since we pretty much moved here. Um, people figured out that he could do just about anything, put anything together. <clears throat> and yeah, you know, so I'm hoping. Now, the one thing he'll have to do if they say, yes, this is great, you're hired for sure. Um, he'll have to buy a set of electric tools, I guess. They're like 200 bucks in a, in a bicycle stand, which is... So I think he's going to have to come up with about 250 bucks of his own money, unfortunately. But those are his tools then, see. They're his. He'll use them on that job, and he can use them for anything. They're his tools. But he has to use the same tools that everybody else uses. And that's, see, I like that. We were talking about that. I know this sounds kind of funny for me to focus on that one thing, that everybody uses the same tools. But that is, that shows a standard a standard that everyone's going to stick to so everyone's on the same page so if there's a problem or a malfunction it won't be well so-and-so used something of their own no it's all the same tool do you see what I mean it it provides an accountability for the job being done um, it doesn't if you use your own tools you know and the job doesn't go well putting things together um, or there's something it could be well, gosh, your tool wasn't a very good tool that you used or whatever. You know, I could be wrong. I talked to my husband. He said, no, that's true. He said, he said, we, in the previous job we had, he had, he said, I ran into inconsistencies because there was different, different ideas. People were doing things, doing things all differently for the same job. One person might use all these particular tools and then, you know, they'd work all day and then, and then they'd be off the next day. Someone else would take over and they would use something else and then they would do it differently. And so then we'd have these, these jobs that wouldn't pass inspection because one person did it differently than the other. He said they have a standard in this new thing that he's going to be doing where they have to do, everyone does it the same way. Now, you know, yeah, okay, individuality out the, out the window there. But that's okay because 
I'm guessing you want something that is, if you're going to buy a product, you want there to be accountability and a standard in place that created that product. I would think unless, unless you're, you know, you don't mind, unless you're buying an artisan's product, an artisan's product, it'd be a little bit differently, you know, because that particular artist, that person is going to do it their way, but then they're going to do all of it their way. Say one person. So anyway, we'll see what, how this works, but the money is good. It's, it's, it's enough. It's an, as much as he wants to make or as little as he wants to make, but they're very flexible. You know, he has to be to his job at a certain time in the morning. Of course, and that's great for him because my husband loves that. He was up at four 30 this morning, ready to go. His appointment wasn't until 10, but he was ready to go at four 30. I mean, he got up and I, I was like, what is all the noise in here? He's drinking coffee and getting humming and happy. And I'm like, you're excited about this. He goes, yeah, damn right. He said, I was worried. So I was fixing to go to that unemployment page and fill it out. He said, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, fill out unemployment. He said, I don't really want to go there. And he was getting ready to do that yesterday. And the phone rings and it's these people. Can you come in tomorrow for your training session and your placement? And he was very excited. He said, what are the chances? They said, well, probably very good because we're extremely busy. So anybody with a skill set, we're going to jump on them. Well, my husband has a lot of skills. And the neat thing is, is he can identify issues, problems, and flaws. And they were very happy to see that too, that he could discover a flaw in a design that might make something unsafe. And in that respect, he could help the company be a safer company too. And they were happy to see that he was an inspector. So there's good things about this. I'm hoping it works out. I'm, you know, never know. You never know. No one ever really truly knows what's going to be the case, but it looks very positive. So that's where he is right now, this moment in time doing his deal. And, um, you know, uh, then he'll be going to work as soon as they discover. I think it might be a quick, oh, yes, now you're going to this place tomorrow. I think that's what he's hoping for. He's afraid where they made it sound on the phone. He says, you don't go for this session today. You know, yesterday was tomorrow, but today. Um, and then they'll mull it over and decide where they want to send them. And it could be another week. And he said, I hope they don't wait a week. He said, I'm ready to get out there and work safely. He said, this is like the one job that allows me safety. He said, I can bring my hand sanitizer, got my mask. You know, a lot of times when they're working in the warehouse, the bathroom, they have an employee bathroom. It's right there. He can go wash his hands, you know. He can maintain all these CDC guidelines. And that's something else that that company was touting that, you know, their, their workers will maintain those guidelines so that they stay safe in the wake of this pandemic. And it makes me feel good too, because I just, ugh, you know, worry about him out there. I, I, I did not want him to have a job like working in a grocery store as a grocer. That, you know, I feel bad for those people on the front lines. You know, you got, sometimes that's the only job that an elderly person can find is grocery store jobs, store greeters, things like that. And that puts that elderly person at risk. They're literally meeting the pandemic at the door every day. And this right here is keeping us all safe. Plus it's providing the income that we need. 
you know, and he even told him, he says, you know, one of the reasons I want to stick to the part-time is he said, believe it or not, he said, I really do. I'm getting older and I have a wife that needs help from time to time. He explained my disorder. He said, but she's also very, very hard-headed. And this is true. that She can handle her own. She does stand, you know, I just want to be there for her, but she's very much of a self-made woman. So when the chips are down, you know, it's not an issue. He said, I can be here. He said, but I just want to be able to, when times are down. So what he's going to look into doing is like right now, if they're super busy and he works extra, plus the money, here's the deal. The way Social Security is set up, and this is a little lesson for anybody that's fixing to go on Social Security, you know you can only work so much when you're on Social Security, and they'll ding you if you work too much. So far, he hasn't been dinged. He's been working a fair amount, but he hasn't been dinged. And um, probably because of the COVID, they're letting it blow. They're letting it go. Um, but he <clears throat> he's going to see if there's any way that if he does work like five days a week and all these hours and stuff, that he can get paid for three days of work. And then they take those extra days that he would have gotten paid for the two and just wait like put that aside in a, in a fund or whatever. And then it could come to him when the times are down, because they did say that, yes, it'll be very busy in the summertime. And then they have a lull for like a month or two. And then it picks back up at Christmas big time. Like it'll go crazy until August or September. And then September and October can be quiet. And then November, boom, it's just nuts. And it's nuts all the way through probably till January until after all those big sales. And then there's another lull again for two months. And he says, can, he's going to ask him if there's any way that they can put the, the overages for him to get that monies during his lull time. So it evens it all out. He gets the social security. It's not an issue. And I'm thinking something tells me if he offers that they'll either say yes or no, but they might think, well, that's a novel idea. We might be able to help many of our workers survive during that lull time by holding their overages then if they would be willing so basically if they didn't go to work like if there was a month or so where they didn't hardly work at all they would get they would get whatever it is that they needed I, but that requires a lot of paperwork requires a whole data system possibly if they're doing everything electronically in order a software program to be able to sidestep all that stuff or, or to to uh put all those things aside for all the individual employees you see that might not work and he, he realizes that and he said you know given that he said maybe I I said well maybe you can talk to social security and say you know there's going to be things like this you know are we going to do this month to month where they make a decision on whether or not he gets a check or can they you know and I told him I said whatever overages you get you put it in the bank your own bank set it aside. That doesn't change the fact that social security recognizes you got paid that large amount of money all at once. But maybe if you discuss it with them and tell them the nature of your job, that can change things a bit. Who knows how this will work? We don't know. We just know that we're excited and he's excited. I'm excited for him. You know, I was willing to literally pull in my belt, stuff envelopes, do whatever it took to work from here in order to, um, you know, survive on the social security. I was willing to try to go out there and work, but he's like, absolutely not, not in your condition. 
because it has been a rough one. I have these good days and bad days. Like yesterday, if I had been, had a job, let's say I had an essential job, I would have had to call in sick yesterday and probably the day before that. And my weeks are like that. Usually in a given seven day period, out of those seven days, I'm only going to have like three days where I've got the ability to do everything I need to do. And all the other days, the four other days, I'm so exhausted. My body hurts so bad. I can hardly get around. And that's normal for me. So I usually, I mean, that's a sad, sad deal. I tried to, I told you, I think, months ago, I don't like the whole idea of disability. I mean, I'm during disability, but I, I am disabled, I guess, in a certain sense. I was denied it five times. Yeah, five times. I, you know, my, I had the, the lawyer that would try to fight for it and wouldn't get paid unless they won the case. Well, he couldn't win the case. He tried his best. And um, their deal was that, oh, well, you can sit in a office somewhere. Oh, I finally went for the final hearing and they denied me. Uh, that was one of my really horrible days. I had a whole, I had three or four days of that week. I could hardly get around and I had to show up at my hearing. I tried to postpone it because I couldn't hardly walk. And my lawyer said, no, you need to come. You're going to have to find a way to get here for this hearing. And I did. And I had a cane and I, I could have a hard time walking. And of course, I think the judge looked at me like, oh, you're making this up so you can get the disability. The judge even went so far as to say to me, nurses rarely get sick. This is unprecedented for you to ask for this. Nurses rarely get sick. I got very angry. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, this whole charade of the cane and all that. I'm like, I have lupus. And today's a bad day for me. It has been bad for me for the last three days. I tried to get this postponed because I had a hard time getting here to this meeting, to this hearing. And I said... I can't help when these flare-ups come. They show up out of nowhere, and I have no control over it, and that's why. No matter what medication, a lot of medications don't work for me because they damage, they make it worse. I said, so, you know, here's the deal. I mean, whatever. Well, they said, I'm sorry, you just don't qualify. You just don't. You know, we just don't really believe that this is as bad as you think it is. And... Even though when I went for the evaluations, they did x-rays of my back and my legs and everything. Went through the whole thing. The x-ray tech, you know, I've worked in the hospital for over 27 years. I know my x-ray techs know how to read x-rays. Almost basically all your x-ray techs know how to read x-rays. They've been doing it for years, most of them. And this woman who did my x-ray after it was done, she just looked at me. She says, oh, man. I said, what? Because I was having a hard time getting around that day. She said, honey, I don't know how you're even walking. She said, oh, crap. She said, this is one of those disability things, isn't it? She looked at it. And she said, I'm not supposed to tell you that. And I went, <laughs> let's see. I walked into the hearing knowing what this x-ray tech saw. And then, obviously, after the evaluation, whoever it was, it was a doctor. He He's a disability doctor. They get kickbacks for those that they deny. They do. Um, he, he basically said I was fine. So, basically... I wish I could get a hold of those x-rays because I can read x-rays too. But chances are those x-rays show that my back is so screwed up. And so is my body. They basically lied. But I talked to my lawyer and as I, was, I was so angry. I said, you know, I just don't understand this. I said, I've got people 
I got this lady who lives down the street, the one that, you know, nuts how comes in my yard. Sorry. I know this is rude for me to talk about her like that, but she's the one that was always breaking in my yard and made up a bunch of stuff. But anyway, she's on disability and she's kind of got some mental problems, but physically she's great. And, uh, she's had to go in anyway. She's on disability. Her husband is too. They both are on disability. And you can see that he's on disability for his back and all this stuff. And yet I see him out there mowing his yard and doing everything under the sun. And they are getting full benefits. I can hardly hang my clothes or do my stuff. I can hardly walk many days. And, and I got denied five times. The lawyer told me, point blank, this really angered me. He said, well, you got made, you made too much money. I said, excuse me. He said, your income was too good. And they saw that. They saw that you made a fair amount of change as a nurse towards the end for sure. And they just, they're not willing to let you have that. And I'm like, for God's sake, I took care of the sickest of the sickest for 27 years. I ended up with lupus and I am really having a hard time. And that is the reason because of my income towards the end was too good. If that's not spitting on the frontline people that take care of the sickest of the sickest, seriously. I said, I can't work like this. He said, I know it. He said, and I'm sure that judge knows it too. He said, but it really is a political situation. They don't want, they don't mind paying the lower income person because it isn't as much. They can pay more of those people. I said, they lie half of them. I shouldn't say half of them. I know for a fact the lady down the street and her husband, it's a game to them. She's the one that actually told me this is when we were talking. Uh, and I was in the throes of trying to do this disability and I saw the side of her I didn't understand. She says to me, because I got denied five times and I was in that denial phase again, you know, and she said, well, maybe you just go get a job and get injured on that job and then you can get that disability. I said, what? You know, I mean, if you just get injured again, truly injured this time. And I just went. And then she proceeded to tell me about her husband getting that job and injures himself. And now he's got so. And I said, so you guys purposely injure yourself? And she kind of looked at me and she goes, well, no, I mean, you know, things happen, you know, they can happen. And the way she said it, her voice, and she looked at me sideways and I went, you purposely injured yourself to get disability. You know, it's like it's like an episode of Shameless, for God's sake. And she said, I resent you saying that. I said, well, you just got done telling me to go get another job and get injured. I'm not going to lie or cheat the system. She says, well, then I guess you're probably not going to get the disability you need, huh? And I went, you're an Army vet. You're, an, you're a veteran from the Army. You're telling me this. This is, this is an outrage. She says, well, you got to do what you got to do. She says, it's up to you, what to, you know, if you want to be. She says, I can't, I don't know what to tell you. She said, but as long as you have that history of your income, they're not going to pay you anything until you probably get a lower, lower wage job and hurt yourself on it. And I just was shocked to hear that. Is that something that goes on around the country? Is that, is that a truth? Is that what's happening? Because if that's what's happening, 
my God, the people that are on the front lines, like your, God, even your police officers, and I don't know, maybe police officers get paid, get taken care of. Maybe they do. The nurses don't. Nurses do not get taken care of at all after the fact. You have to have your own retirement fund and what have you, and, and that doesn't even last forever. So it's like, yeah, this is a joke. And if you get sick or disabled, you're screwed if you made a fair amount of change. I, I just, I'm shocked at the system. Anyway, it's broken. It's broken. It's broken by people who cheat it. That's not fair. So yesterday I was angry too. And I tell my husband, I said, I'm feeling some resentment right now towards some individuals. He goes, let it go. I said, I know. I said, but we're struggling financially. And I can't really work in this situation. And, and this happens to me all frequently. These flare-ups now have been happening to me more and more. I said, we can't even get me on any health care plan because of, of um, the monies at this point for myself. I said, I don't, I don't want to. I mean, I've got these pre-existing conditions. They're too great. And there's always, even though the Obamacare plans, I believe, provide for that, you know. Of course, the GOP wants to get rid of that. They want to get rid of all pre-existing conditions, savings, like people who have, who have pre-existing conditions. They want to make those people uninsurable. That way that's less, you know, uh, our fucking Republican group is such a corrupt, nasty group of people. They are so against humanity. It's just awful. Um, the president says it, you know, we're going to take care of you pre-existing conditions and then behind the closed doors in his little oval office meetings we're gonna cut all that this we can't but you told the people eh. you know they believe whatever i want doesn't matter we're not gonna take care of those people that are drained on society i'm sure that's what he thinks but i yeah drained on society i am i a drain on society maybe i am but i used to take care of society i used to take care of it at its worst and I did things that most people wouldn't do. I put my hands and my life in things that nobody, life on my line, on the line, literally. I was on the front lines of all manner of terrible things, infectious diseases, dangerous things, you know. It's just like they're saying now about the nurses and the doctors. They're like warriors. They are. And that they always were. That's the thing. It's not just now. I agree. You know, it's it's more dangerous now, but I want to tell you something. Being a healthcare worker is being a warrior, and they always have been. This isn't something new. Healthcare workers get beaten and smacked around by people that they're caring for. It happens a lot. Not everyone. Not every patient's ugly, mean, and nasty, but I want to tell you something. There's a fair amount of abuse that healthcare workers endure at the hands of the people they're trying to care for. Isn't that crazy? And a lot of it is because of the situation that person's in, they have no control over their behavior. And the healthcare person knows when they're walking into this situation that there's a very good chance if it's a bad situation, especially in the mental health arena, or, you know, it could be anything drug-related, you know, if you're taking care of people that are on drugs. It could be anything like that. Or just case of domestic violence between... A couple they come in and you're caring for them you could be the, you could be the person that has to deal with that I mean I've had to 
I've been smacked, hit, bitten, spit on. I've had everything pretty much done to me. Attempted rape at one point. Yeah. By someone who came in that was uh, a mental health patient. He'd been put in a hospital. He'd been put in this maximum security mental health facility because of his serial rape. He was so dangerous and they brought him in and I was alone with him in this country hospital and he broke out of his restraints and tried to rape me. And if it wasn't for the one male nurse down the road there, down the, down the hallway that heard me screaming, I kept trying to pull the cord. I mean, this guy had me down. He was ripping my clothes. And, um, I mean, I was really young back in that time. I shouldn't, this one, this one nurse came around the corner, punched this guy right in the face. We both got counseled. Can you believe this? The head nurse counseled us both on our retaliation against a patient that was in, um, was having problems. See, long ago, this was in the 80s, you're not allowed to retaliate or allowed to defend, is what she said. You defended yourself, which looks like a retaliation, and you punched him, and, you know, he's in peril. Well, you know, the head nurse, or the, the nurse that saved me said, look, I walked into a man holding this girl down, the nurse, in a chokehold as he was tearing her clothes off. She's a nurse, and he was trying. This is a country emergency room. You put her in here by herself. I even didn't even know why you did that, because we all knew this guy was coming, and look at her. She's the primo person that he would have gone after anyways if you knew the history of this man. And I argued with you about it, and you said, no, it's something that she needs to learn to deal with. Now, this is the hospital where I had spilled that blood on my uniform, um, and, the, and the head nurse pulled me in and said that I was going to be tested for HIV and all these kinds of things, and if I was positive for any of that, I would be fired. This happened before this incident. That, I mean, I spilled the, the blood on my uniform before this incident, and then you know, directly afterwards, she puts me in this position of dealing with this very violent patient who somehow got out of his restraints. I don't understand how that happened, but, you know, I was pretty green, too. I'd only been a nurse for a couple of years when this happened. Maybe it was three years. Three years when it happened, yeah. Scary situation. And um, it was almost like she was out to get me ever since that moment that the that blood bag exploded basically i mean it was it was a faulty blood bag that when i was sp spiking it this is happened before this incident and it went on my uniform and it was like after that she just started going after me for every little thing and uh because she had told me point blank i had no i had no recourse and for some reason you know she hires me but she didn't like me she didn't like me I don't know what her deal was, but that male nurse was so angry. He had it out with her. She yelled at him. They were a screaming match in the hallway. They once they had, they had to sedate this guy. They took. I got sent home because I had bruises on my neck. They had the doctor had to look at me. Even the doctor was mad at the head nurse. He said, "What on earth are you trying to do this, no little nurse here? Are you trying to get her killed? I mean, are you trying to harm her because?" There is no way we discussed this, that this man should have been along with any woman nurse, any woman. I don't care what age we discussed that. You agreed. And then at the last minute you go change it because it was supposed to be 
that guy right there that saved her that was supposed to take care of this man. But you put the very thing that looks like the thing <laughs> that he was put in the maximum security in the first place. It's like you were putting candy in front of a baby. Literally, you were, you were, you were dangling bait in front of this guy. And this bait has a name. And she's a mother, a single mom, but you know, and she's a hard worker and you did this to her for why? And she says, well, there's no real reason. We just had to make some changes in the schedule. I didn't realize that you were on today. She looked at the mail nurse. I mean, she tried to come up with whatever she could come up with to make it look like she had no choice or she didn't know or whatever. They argued and they were yelling over that kind of thing. And he, the mail nurse called me later and he said, oh my God. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, you're, you know, you're home on leave for three days, at least till you get those bruises. I said, well, the bruises are pretty apparent. I said, I don't, I'm going to have to wear a turtleneck or something. Thank God it's winter. Uh, I said, I just really don't even want to come back to work. That just freaked me out. And he said, well, no, he said, but I'm on, he said, I'm on leave right now because I mouth back at her. She's citing misconduct on me. And even the doc, she said, she told the doctor he had no say so in her decisions and that he was not allowed to decide her handling of discipline and so he said you're on three days leave and so am I he said I got suspended for punching that guy he said basically I got suspended for saving you he said I think she was knowing full well what was going to happen she was hoping that it was going to scare you off or something he said I don't know what it is about you but she does not like you and she's like she hates you and I said I don't know what I did to her <laughs> He said, I don't either. He said, because I've had nothing but, you know, I've enjoyed working with you. He said, you're a good nurse for someone so young. He said, you're so young and you know so much. And he said, maybe that's what it is. He said, because you don't, we knew you were this age when you came and you'd been a nurse already. I think I was 24 when I started working there. 23, I was 23. I know I've been a nurse for seven years, right? Yeah, I'd been a nurse for seven years and I was only I was 27 years old. There's a lot of nurses that when they're 27, they haven't been a nurse that long. And he said, this is unheard of, you know, for someone to be as seasoned as you are. So young. He said, and then you walk in here and you look like you're 14. You're so young looking. He said, I think it pissed her off. I think it made her mad. He said the fact that you, you know, he, I was hired. This is where I was hired online, basically. I was over the phone, really. Um, I was moving from this one state to the Northland to be, it was after my divorce. And um, I was hired into this position over the phone and with what credentials that I had. And, uh, and then when I got there, they were just like, you're not really what we expected. Everybody else warmed up to me pretty well, but that head nurse, the one that actually hired me, she never did. She tried to find everything wrong with me that she could. And I had made this big move. Finally, it was it was to the point, you know, where I called my old work and asked them if they had a job available. And they said, yes, come back. We held your position. We knew you weren't going to last up there. 
So I moved back to that old state that I had worked in and told my family, I said, I'm sorry, you know, I can't, can't afford to live in the big city in, in, in Minnesota, Minneapolis or St. Paul. I can't do that. You know, no support system there for my kid. And I said, I'd rather just go back to where I came from. At least I've got her dad is there. My daughter's dad is there. And, you know, it'll work out. So it was kind of sad, but. But yeah, that, you know, just set up, just a set up from the get go. So what I'm saying, I digressed. What I'm saying that nurses are on the front lines and doctors too, but you know, the nurses are at the bedside all the time. They incur either wonderful blessings or they can be abused abominably. And I have experienced both in my career over that 27 years. I've experienced both. Blessings, many blessings, and many sad days, distressing days, and then days of absolute outright abuse, both from the people who employed me to the people who I took care of, you know. Not an easy thing to deal with, but, you know, it is what it is. You go into work and a job and... You're taking care of people in their most vulnerable state, in their most awful state many times, especially if you're working in an emergency room or intensive care or any place. In, in mental health, you're taking care of people at their lowest point of their lives. And some folks don't have command of themselves. And because they don't, they take it out on you. They sure can, and it's hard. If you don't realize that's what's about to happen to you, you know, I, I was, now that I'm retired, you know, I'd like to, if I weren't, if I didn't have this disorder, this disease that made me, I would go around and speak to nurses and tell them the truth. But that would scare them off, probably. But then that might embolden some. Some nurses are just meant to do this. They're tough on the inside, tough on the outside, but also soft on the inside and soft on the outside. You get that kind of nurse. I was that kind of nurse to a certain extent, but it just wore me. And there's got to be strategies to learn how to deal with those days. And working too many days is never a good thing. Pushing yourself to the point of no return is not a good thing. But right now, I feel so bad for these people on the front lines during this pandemic. They don't have a choice. But I'm seeing the same abuse happen to these people. You know, I'm watching a lot of videos that are circulating. I'm not going to say what they are because I'm going to protect them. But there's videos circulating on Facebook all over of nurses on the front lines speaking out about what's really happening during this pandemic and how, you know, the president lies when he says they've got enough equipment and everything. It's sporadic. It is a sporadic thing. It's not everyone has everything they need. He is not telling the truth. And I believe those nurses and doctors when they say, we need equipment. We need the PPE, personal protective equipment. We need the masks, not the painter's masks. We need the real masks. See, that's what they're doing. They're sending, they, they're so proud of themselves, the federal government, the president. Now we've sent them all the things that they need. They're sending them stuff that construction workers use things that weren't designed necessarily for the hospital setting, for virus protection, okay? Things that are made for construction necessarily aren't going to be as good 
as things that are made for when you're a true hazmat, when you're walking into a viral or, you know, very contagious viral or you know, isolation situation where you, you, they're designed without any flaws whatsoever and tested and tested and tested. Okay. So they're not getting that stuff. It sounds like enough of that stuff and they're still reusing their masks. So what the hell is all this about? Why is the president lying to the people? Because he's a political man. He wants to make it look like he's doing his job, but he isn't doing his job very well, as I've seen, still seeing. And uh, the CDC just came out today and said, or was it yesterday, and said that they have they truly have been muzzled the whole time by the, by the White House. It's a political thing. They haven't been allowed to tell the public everything. Now they're starting to open up a little bit, but now they're, they're, they're airing their frustrations guaranteed after these um, broadcasts of that on the news that the CDC is saying that they have been muzzled, that all their information is filtered by the president. Um, chances are the president's going to go on another firing spree. That's what he does. When he gets caught for his misconduct, he goes after everybody else. And I guarantee you, I, I could probably bet money on the fact that there's going to be some, as as he would probably think in his mind, heads roll at the CDC. Yeah, he's probably going to go after some people there. He's done this. He just keeps firing people over and over and over again. And just, ugh, he's revolting. I, I am so revolted by him. Another thing, the vets. They're stopping certain deployments right before um, they would get their benefits. In other words, so he's cheating army, well, military, all of the military, cheating these military people out of their their army, their, um, excuse me, their benefits. They want to pay it. He's a dick. I'm telling you, we have a horrible president. He needs to be removed. Amendment 25. Another thing, he's taking that hydro, hydroxychloroquine stuff now in preventive measures. He swears up and down his doctor said it was okay. I, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know if the doctor said it was okay. I don't care. Bottom line is he's taking it outside the hospital setting, which is what the experts have said that it needs to be given in the hospital setting where constant monitoring is going on because of this heart situation. See, one of the side effects of hydroxychloroquine is the dangerous heart rhythms that can ensue. Now, I have taken medications that have caused that, and they've ripped me off them immediately. I knew I was having a heart rhythm that was an issue because I was, it was, I was having this feeling like all of a sudden everything would stand still. I was on a medication. I can't remember which one it was. God, I've been on so many in my life with this lupus and what have you, but it had a heart thing. It, it, Anyway, um, I'd be going along and all of a sudden it felt like my heart just completely stopped and I, and it would be like seconds and seconds and seconds. And I mean, it felt like a long time and I would lose my sense of my train of thought. I couldn't continue. Like I'd be talking and then all of a sudden I couldn't speak. Everything would just come to a standstill. I felt weird and I couldn't. And I was so disheveled and so disoriented when this would happen. 
Okay, so I went to my doctor, called him and told him. They had me come in and did an EKG, and they found out that I was having this prolonged QT syndrome. They took me off that medication immediately. They gave me something else. For, you know, I should remember all these things. Such a blur back in the day when I was diagnosed with lupus. They put me on another medication short term, and then I was off that one. Um, it was like a constant revolving door of what medications to put me on for this disease I have. And uh, But here's the thing. That is one side effects of hydroxychloroquine, prolonged QT syndrome. It can cause, other things it can cause is paranoia, hallucinations, and what have you. There's a, there's a whole list of terrible side effects. Well, the president, he's admitted he's taken it now for the past week and a half, going on to the second week. And his behavior is changing. I'm watching it on national television. His behavior is changing. You know, he was in the midst of bashing uh, President Obama, trying to talk down about a President Obama, and then all of a sudden he loses his train of thought. And you can see it happen. He just kind of like fizzles out. Well, shit, that's what used to happen to me when I was on that. It wasn't hydroxychloroquine I took. I know it wasn't that. It was some other drug. They had the same. There's a lot of drugs that can cause this prolonged QT, just to let you know. It's not just hydroxychloroquine. But when you have that happen to you, it causes your, it, can, it probably affects people differently. Maybe that prolonged QT syndrome doesn't cause that for everyone, that loss of your train of thought, but it did for me. I suddenly couldn't articulate. And you know, when you're at work, I'm a nurse. You can't do that on the job. You can't suddenly, oh, where am I? That's what would happen to me. And, my, and the head nurse at that time was like, holy crap, what's going on with you? I'm like, I am having a problem. And I told her, you know, I was on lupus medications. And I said, I need to go see somebody about this. She said, yes, you do. She said, go ahead and take the day off. She said, we can't let you stay here like this because you can't make good decisions. I was freaking out. I got, I was having paranoid problems too. I was paranoid that I wasn't doing a good job. I was second-guessing myself to the point that I couldn't even do the first thing. I was having panic attacks and just all kinds of things. And it was related to that medication. It makes me wonder if it wasn't a cousin, this one. Or maybe it was the gen a different version. I don't know. They said that this medicine's been around for a long time. I know that I took a medicine with my lupus that did affected me poorly, and I had to take it off, take me off of it. It could have been something that was... Maybe it was this one under a different name. I don't know. All I know is that it affected me badly. I was one of those people, and fortunately, because I was a nurse, I could gauge. I knew something was seriously wrong. I felt that weird feeling in my chest. They got me in immediately. Got the EKG done and realized you cannot take this anymore, and they had to give me something else. You think I can remember what it was? Basically, it was like, they didn't undo whatever it was that was happening to me. Because the next step of the prolonged QT, what happens with when you have prolonged QT syndrome is that your heart literally stops for a little bit. Okay, well, the other deadly side effect, the reason why it's considered fatal is because it goes into the next phase, which is cardiac standstill. Which, because it's an electrical problem, apparently, in your heart, it's almost like you can't... In, they. This is statistical. I never experienced it myself. Statistical data, they say, has proven that it's a 
it's hard to get that heart restarted again once it stops. Like, that's why it's called sudden death. Duh. Sudden death syndrome. Okay. It's in the literature. So, you know, the president's up there having these these uh, conversations or talking and whatever. And then all of a sudden he gets really rambly and weird. He's been doing that for years, right? The rambly weird business. But it's more so pronounced. And he's taking this medicine. So it just makes me wonder. And I understand, too, he has a bit of an issue. Uh, I guess he takes other things. Maybe not necessarily should be taking other things. There's been reports from people that used to be on that show, The Apprentice, that said he snorted Ritalin at one point in his life or Adderall. Is he still doing that? Because if he's still taking medications like that, Adderall, Ritalin, you couple it with something like this, you have a prescription for disaster. I'm just saying. As a healthcare person, I can see that this could become a very dangerous situation. But, you know... He's putting himself at risk. Nancy Pelosi said, I wish he wouldn't take this. He's got all the predisposing factors of someone who should not take this medicine. He's morbidly obese. He just, you know, I, nobody knows what his health is like because he's not going to release that, the truth. So we don't really know. Is his cholesterol really high? Is his heart okay? Does he suffer from hypertension? <coughs> If he does, those are probably situations where he should not be taking that drug. You know, I agree with Nancy Pelosi. He's putting every, he's putting himself at risk. So I don't, I don't know what to say about that. And to do it outside of the hospital setting, you know, preventive, just going to do it anyways. I'm sure he, he says that he had the blessing of his doctor, but I just wonder, did he, did he coerce that doctor into it? Who knows? All I know is it's just not a good deal. And um, these symptoms didn't show up in me until I'd been on that medication for almost two weeks. Whatever medication that was. I need to, I, you know what, I should go back and rifle through my old paperwork. It's in a box somewhere up in the attic of, the, of my other A-frame cabin. I should go pull that out and find out what med was I on. And was it, was it that med? Because you see there's all different names for that med. I wonder if it was that med. They yanked me off that puppy so fast when they just got two weeks. Sometimes it takes about that long for things to show up as, as, as the levels get into your system, as your body recognizes it. You know, it can take a, a while for those things to show up. And when it did, they were just like, oh, hell no. I mean, because it, it's, it's cardiac standstill, folks. You don't come back from that unless you've got one hell of a, a group that can revive you. I mean, what I'm saying is, is that... If it's an electrical problem within the heart, they might not be able to, rest I mean, it might, does it damage it? They don't really know how. I don't think they know exactly the mechanism as to why the QT syndrome happens, prolonged QT syndrome, the mechanism of that situation. And, you know, if you don't understand what and how does that go about happening, which is, oh, it happens, but what is causing it for sure, it's hard to remedy it, say, the counteraction, the antidote, if you will. I guess that would be the word I would use. Once it gets to the point of your heart doesn't just completely stops altogether and it won't restart again. I mean, my heart was stopping for a little bit, then come back. You know, I'd be, when it does that, when your heart just stops for a second or two and you're doing stuff and all of a sudden there's no heartbeat, you're sitting there, it's like all things quit. It's weird. It's not the same thing as, you know, a person with the pulse of 40 
you know, and your heart beats are spaced out. We're talking something electrical went awry inside my heart that caused it to stand still for a second in a different way. That's like the electrical activity just fizzled in my heart. And then I just, but I can tell you I lost my train of thought. I lost everything. I was like, whew. And then it would just like, oh, it was like someone shutting me off and then turning me back on again, rebooting my system. And when that happened, I didn't, I was very confused. I felt very weird. It happened at home and I thought, okay, it's all in my imagination. And then it happened again when I was at work and it was like, and then so the second or third time that it happened when I was at work and people around me, they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And they, they, you know, so then they, what they did was I did go to the emergency room. So I had my doctor called him immediately. I was on his evening phone and he said, I need you to come in to, to he said, go to the ER, you're at work, go to the ER and get that EKG. He said, I'm going to call him right now. Tell him you're coming. And he said, then you're off for the rest of the day. So just, I'll, I'll meet you. So he met me at the hospital. I do remember that. You know, I say coming in, I meant I was coming in to get care. That was the benefit of working at the hospital was that the emergency room was downstairs. So they hooked me up to the, they were like, whoa, this is a funky rhythm. And my doctor showed up and he's looking at that and he actually called a cardiologist. They have everybody there at the hospital and they reviewed the EKG and that's when they came over. They said, you can't take this medicine. They gave me something, IV. And because I worked night shift, see, I'd already had childcare. I had to keep coming in to visits. He had me do follow-up EKGs in his office after that. You know, and then he had consult with a cardiologist. They just kept me off the med. And I can't remember what else I got put on. There's so many meds I was on. There's so many meds I was on. I felt like I was in a... You know, I was the guinea pig of all time. <clears throat> it might have just been many years ago. Um, yeah, they, they, uh, it was quite the mess. And they said that they meant, I, you know, I asked them later, what was the deal? Because I was so out of it when I went down there. I had a nurse bring me down to the emergency room. And I sat down there until morning, pretty much. I said, you know, I don't have my daughters in child care. You know, I have to drive myself. I'm a single ma, so I got, you know, I'm just me, myself, and I. I got my car out there. It's really nobody come get me. Um, they just set me over in one of the rooms and just watched my heart for a while. Well, they gave me this medicine. Dear God, you think I should remember what that was? They gave me something. Um, and then I had to take, uh, they put me in a prescription for something else. And I kept going in for serial EKG. So that's all fuzzy for me. You know, I'm completely off of that. I do natural methods now. And, um, you know, I'm hoping I can continue. I'm having more problems, though. I'm not going to lie. I'm having more issues the last few. The last week has been rough on me with the lupus. It's been a rough week. I've had more crappy days than good days. And I was so proud of myself that I was able to handle all this verbally. I don't know how long I'm going to be able to do that, but I'm also terrified of going back on tons of uh, prescription drugs, see. So I'm in that conundrum. There's a conundrum right in the middle of a pandemic. We're having, I'm having this conundrum of what to do about it. And part of it's a trust factor too. Sometimes I feel like I don't trust, but I'm going to have to, I think.
you know, I don't recommend people do what I did. <laughs> I don't recommend you just, unless you have the experience. I do have experience with research. I did a lot of research as a nurse. Um, and I also, you know, understand the human body pretty well. But there are things that are beyond my capabilities for sure. And, you know, I may have to, I, I was always, I'm willing to always do that for my, on my own health, but I would never do that to my other family members because that's not, so I always consult. I always get them in to be checked and do what needs to be done. But for me, it's just like, I get, I guess I'm trying to see how far I can go with this, um, health, my own herbal ways, you know, I mean, I've done pretty well. But I also have to remind myself, too, that my when I was diagnosed with lupus, I was in pretty bad shape. And they told me then, this is when I was in my 30s, 20 years ago, that I didn't have long to live. And I'm like, how do you mean long to live? They said, we, you know, we're looking at five years, maybe. And that's with the best of care. And I'm like, what? I'm just, I'm really young. I'm not, well, you know, your body's pretty damaged. It's pretty damaged from this disease. It's pretty, you know, you must have been walking around. I'm like, well, I've been to the doctor a lot trying to figure out what's going on. And no one could give me an answer for like, we're going on five years now. So I think I started trying to figure out what was wrong with me in my 20s. And I never, never got the answer that I was looking for. And um, finally, I was 32 or 33, I think is when I got the diagnosis. And then I read a statistic that really kind of upset me that the average person will walk around for six years with the symptoms of lupus and not get a diagnosis for six years. So six years of damage to your body. And that's why I think that the regimens are so rigorous and can be more damaging depending on what it is that they're doing. Now, healthcare's definitely gotten better over the years when it comes to this disease. So maybe if I were to go back into it, you know, but the damage is pretty much done now. See, so I don't really know how much they can do to help me. It's, you know, don't know. We're at 58 minutes and 19, 20, 21 seconds. And I'm going to have to cut this short to leave it on the thing that I recommend that people be darn sure of themselves. Uh, I don't know what that's what I meant by that, but I, People take care of themselves. Um, if you need to see a doctor, see a doctor. I recommend that people do um, take this pandemic seriously. Even if the doc, even if the president wants to downplay it, and his sons want to say it's a hoax, trying to take him down. That's that's the new thing. Eric is saying that this is the new Democrat hoax. Now he's saying it now trying to stop my dad from being reelected. Oh my God. Your dad's doing that all by himself. Son, quit trying to vie for your father's attention because here's the deal. Trump is doing a good job of making his own self look bad. The people that really are educated and understand and pay attention to the science are looking at him going, <laughs> whatever. We're going to vote blue, man. Hashtag blue wave. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. Be safe. Okay? And peace out.